Well, hello there and welcome to episode number 392 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell. Welcome back. Happy Valentine's Day. Today, Amanda and I are going to talk about everything from the bookstore she works at to trade-sized romance to her Raylo fanfic. Yes, I will have a link. Do not worry. But our conversation this week is inspired by a question from Jasmine. Jasmine is part of our Patreon, and she wanted to ask us about sci-fi and space romances, and she needed some recommendations. Amanda's way more fluent in this than I am, but we have recs and suggestions, theories about the required elements of space romance, and potential reasons why space is so appealing right now. I also want to say thank you for the feedback and the responses that you sent me by email, on Twitter, in comments on the episodes regarding my RWA One Month Later miniseries. Your comments really meant a lot, and I was incredibly flattered by your thanks and by your praise. So thank you for that. And thank you again to the guests who appeared on the shows and to the Patreon community who helped make the transcript happen, and to Garlic Knitter, who did all the transcripts. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by Best Women's Erotica of the Year, Volume 5, edited by Rachel Kramer Bussell, published by Cleus Press. This anthology's theme is outrageous and features 21 new sexy erotica and erotic romance stories by authors including Sierra Simone, C.D. Reese, Sabrina Sol, Caridad Pinheiro, Bali Kaur Jaswal, Justine Elliott, Alexa J. Day, Jane Renault, and more. You'll be swept away by the sexiest business deal ever, break the rules in a future world where skin-on-skin contact is forbidden, and discover the art of getting off by phone sex. From mermaid sex to historical passion to the first Latina U.S. president finding intimacy again after becoming a widow, this book has something for every reader from happy endings to pure lust. Best Women's Erotica of the Year, Volume 5, is available in print, ebook, and audiobook, and is on sale now wherever books are sold. You can find out more at bweoftheyear.com. As you know, every episode of this podcast receives a transcript. This episode's transcript is brought to you by our Patreon community. If you have supported the show with a monthly pledge, thank you. You are helping me make sure that every episode is transcribed and accessible to everyone. If you would like to join our Patreon, please have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Monthly pledges start at $1 a month, and every pledge makes a deeply, deeply appreciated difference. I have so many new members of our Patreon community, and I will be greeting you all in future episodes. But today, hello and welcome to Jasmine, Laura, and Christy. Thank you for becoming part of our community. And I have a compliment for Liz M. Someone you know is going through something hard right now, but they're getting through it because you've got their back and you are the greatest kind of friend. Nice work. If you would like a compliment of your very own, have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. At the end of the episode, I will have a really bad joke. I will have a preview of what is coming up on Smart Bitches. And, of course, in the show notes, I will have links to all of the books we talk about, all of the shows we mention, and links to very important things like Amanda's bookstore and her fanfic. Because I know some of you are going to be like, you better have that link. Of course I have that link. I know how this works. But now, Amanda and I are going to talk about space romance. Thanks again to Jasmine for a great question. On with the podcast. So how's the bookstore? The bookstore is good. So we did inventory yesterday. I really enjoy it. The list of things that I do not like is very small. Top of the list is the bookshelf ladder. You think (laughs) it's going to be fun because... Well, you got that video of Belle like flying across the bookstore hanging out of the ladder, right? a death trap like (laughs) the minute you take one step off the ground you are white knuckling it and then one time one of my fellow booksellers who's also an author susan was like hold on i need to move you so i'm like just gripping it 
while she's like sliding me on the ladder down the bookshelf. Oh god. No. You think it's going to be magical, but it's not. Like your life flashes before your eyes. But that's really like the only complaint. I enjoy it when people come in. It's like I'm looking for a book. I don't remember much about it. But I, it looks like this and it's about this and the author's name might be this and I'm like I will figure this out if it is the last thing I do. This <laughs> one of my like greatest scavenger hunts I've had to do is this older lady. She's probably in her 80s or 90s and she came in with her daughter. And I asked if they could if I could help them find anything. And the daughter sighs. And this lady was like, I'm looking for a book that is kind of like a big deal. It sold a lot when it was popular. Mother is the first word of the title. And either the author's oh first or last name is Van. And the daughter goes, I don't think the name is Van, by the way. It's like, okay, we're going to figure this out. It was Mother Night by Kurt Vonnegut. Whoa. So basically, a good portion of your job yeah. is help Just a bitch book out. book wizardry, you know. <laughs> you are quite suited for that. Because yeah. you remember shit. It's enjoyable. I like doing it. We have a very large school population. So once like three o'clock hits, we are inundated with like middle schoolers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have some. I have one of they those. They are. He lives in my house. Rambunctious. Yeah. So that's the only time where I'm like, just I need to caffeinate to within an inch of my life. <laughs> Power through. Yeah. Maybe spike my coffee if I can <laughs> sneakily do it. But it's been a lot of fun. The, a lot of the people I work with are fantastic. There are some that are iffy, but that's you get that with any job. It's and, retail. Yeah. But there's this woman named Gail who started the same time I did, and she's in her late 50s. And we have a tradition now where if we work together and close on the same night, we will go out for drinks afterwards. Oh, nice. Yeah. So Gail and I have a drink routine, and I think we went out Tuesday, and we were out from 7 to midnight. Damn. <laughs> I mean, I know book people party. I've been to conferences, but nice. No, Gail turns up. And then I had to be back at the store for inventory at like 8 a.m. the next morning. So. <laughs> Woohoo! Party. Yeah. So it's, I enjoy it a lot. I'm glad you like it. Yeah. Because retail's hard. It is. You have to be nice to strangers who aren't always nice to you. Yeah. Yeah, being in a service job. I I learned so much when I worked at the front desk of a hotel. The only worst job in a hotel is housekeeping. Yeah. Because behind closed doors, people are truly disgusting. Yeah. And I had to go through OSHA training with them, and that was traumatic. It was truly the most disgusting things I've ever learned. But the front desk is really hard because you just have to stand there and often be the recipient of someone else's rage about something that you had nothing to yeah. do with. Yeah, and it, you know you can't really be like, sorry for whatever's going on, but it's not my fault. You just kind of mm -hmm. have to put a smile on and you know make it through the next ten minutes. Yeah, that really is it. That, <laughs> that really is it. You got to smile and make it through the next ten, and then and that's then it. Yeah, move on. Yeah, because eventually they're going to leave. Yeah. They don't live there. So what is your favorite part of the story? Like in terms of sections or like things I do? Ooh. Either. I love making displays in the store. I love a theme. I've never met a theme I didn't like. You don't say. <laughs> and I love- I am aware of this. <laughs> <laughs> and I love making the posters or like the flyers for the sections. So like yesterday we- designed a display that was like latinx authors you should be reading so i got to design Ooh. i designed like the display for it and the flyer for it we have a romance display for february that we're gonna put up i just like enjoy doing it it's also like another little scavenger hunt like this is what the display is going to be about you need to find 20 books that fit within the theme i like that a lot so everything you do is a form of curation. Oh, yeah. So 
<laughs> I was picked to the short straw and I had to give a book tour to a group of prep school boys. <laughs> well, like, I guess their teacher had done it last year oh, and I they see. really enjoyed it. So now this year, so senior boys who are, I keep calling them boys, but they're probably not bo- young men. Seniors in high school, they go to a very expensive prep school that's like $50,000 a year tuition. Whoa. And they're all like perfectly quaffed khakis, blue blazers, ties. And I have to give them a tour of the store and explain how publishing works and yada, yada, yada. We get to the children's section, which is upstairs. The entire second floor Mm -hmm. is kids and YA and stuff like that. And I make a joke. So the cardboard displays that you see in bookstores that have books in them, they're called dumps. Yeah, they're called dumps. So like that little statue of, of Diary of a Wimpy Kid that's stuffed with Diary of a Wimpy Kid that's yeah. made of cardboard, that's called a dump? It's called a dump. Uh, Who names these things? That's incredible. <laughs> and we frequently make jokes about it because it's a silly, stupid name. And you know, dumps, like poop jokes. So I made a poop joke and no one laughed. And I was like, is this too lowbrow for, <laughs> for these children? <laughs> and then one raised their hand and they're like, what does dump stand for? I'm like, no. And I'm like, nothing. It is not an acronym. We don't know why they're called dumps. That's just their name. Like, <laughs> Oh, my stars. And they're like, okay. And I'm like, Are, do you guys not find this as funny as like we do in here? Like, <laughs> what, <laughs> what is wrong with you? <sighs> so. Oh my gosh. It was a- I would laugh uproariously <laughs> at a poop joke about bookstore dumps. I know. But no. No, that is not an invitation for anyone to act, take an actual dump in the bookstore. Please store. do not. But okay, <laughs> speaking of dumps in the bookstore, we have a public bathroom. And I, as I mentioned, we have middle school children who come in. And I'm on break in the cafe, like eating soup or whatever I was eating that day. And these little monsters come in to the cafe and they're like where's your it was like do you have a bathroom and the barista on staff was like yeah we have one over there and so they go and the barista's like were you able to find the bathroom and one of the boys in the group of like five was like yeah and i took a huge dump <laughs> and in my head i was like eating in my head i was like kid we talk about dumps all the time here like you're not special. Like <laughs> if you I know you thought you were being really edgy, but Yeah, no. If you no. realize how many times we other utter the word dump in a day, you like <laughs> we we are immune to your dump jokes. So wait, if you have to go take one out and put another one in its place, do you have to go take a Yeah, dump? take a dump out to the dumpster, I suppose. Maybe that's why they're <laughs> called dumps. No one knows. So if you work in publishing and you listen to this and you know the secret of the dumps, please let us know. <laughs> That's magical. Yeah. The, mo- the more you know so- <laughs> about dumps. <laughs> you gotta learn I wish, dumps. like, it would turn into, you know, like, Helen Mirren. The more you know. It's like, did you know? These displays are called dumps. Okay, you should do like a whole series on on, uh, on Instagram <laughs> secrets secrets of the bookstore. This is this a is dump. <laughs> this is this one's red, but this one's brown, and they're all shoddily made. Like a strong gust of wind will just send one of them toppling. Do publishers have to pay to place them in the store? Do they? Is that part of like the co op space that's? Paid I'm for? not sure on the indie side maybe i think so but that might be the extent of our co-op advertising so for example at a barnes and noble you might see like books on the front table and those spaces are paid for right books on the end cap those are all paid for with us the stuff that we choose to display or put face out on a shelf that's all like curated and organically done we're not paid to do that you know, we're not advertising to you or like these books aren't being paid to be like put in front of your eyeballs. Mm-hmm. 
Which is one of the differences between a large chain and yeah. a smaller bookstore. Yes. And yours has quite the robust romance section now. Yes, it does. When I started, it was a little end cap. And then I floated the idea. I was like, listen, I love sci-fi fantasy, but I think it has too much space because it looks a little sparse. Could we maybe move romance to like a bigger shelf and just kind of slide sci-fi fantasy down? And we did. (gasps) Heresy. Heresy. (laughs) How dare I How know. very dare you? So now it has like a full bookcase. And I try to pick a romance, I think, almost every month for staff picks. Love lettering will be my February staff pick by Kate Claiborne, which Aria loved. So yeah. you could do a whole display for that with like books on lettering, calligraphy, pens, paper. You could make a whole like paper and book porn display well, one of, for that. One of our booksellers, I think, might start teaching a bullet journaling class. Ooh, yeah. So I I, I recommended love lettering to her. She's not a romance reader, so I don't know if she'll read it, but, you know, I hope she does. You never know. Sometimes you can convince people. Yeah. I thought it was interesting when you were saying on Twitter that someone walked up to the register with a whole stack of trades and you tried to sell them a mass market paperback romance. And then this person was like, I can't be seen reading that. Yeah. So, well, they were, they were at the shelf and Audrey, who's a bookseller and who I know through one of my other book clubs. And she's starting to read a lot of romance. She's wonderful. She's the best bookseller. She can hand sell you a book like no one's business. And she called me over because she was giving recommendations to this woman. And she's like, Amanda's a romance expert. So, and I had picked When a Scott Ties the Knot by Tessa Dare as a staff pick previously. And so she called me over and she's like, Amanda, pick this book. She's like, I read more contemporary, but if you like historical stuff, Amanda, I can give you some recommendations. And I was like, When a Scott Ties the Knot is fantastic. I read it in one sitting. I was up till 2 a.m. And the woman had a stack of like, Bringing Down the Duke and Jasmine Guillory and just all the new trades that had come out. And she saw the cover of When a Scott Ties the Knot. She's like, oh, I can't read that. And I asked her, I was like, well, why not? And she's like, that cover. She's like, it reminds me of those like old Harlequins. I was like, well, it's very good. Like, (laughs) I kind of like challenged her. I was like, well, why can't you read it? I was like, it's not a big deal. So she didn't get it. She wound up getting two other, two trades. And then I gave her some other recommendations. Like she mentioned she likes the Veronica Speedwell series. So I mentioned Sherry Thomas's series. Some romance readers are upset about trade paperbacks being so prominent now because there's a higher price point. And a lot of people have strong feelings about illustrated covers. I don't mind them. I I think they're cute. Do they always accurately represent the subject matter inside? No, but I think they're cute. And I feel like this really shows why like mass market is more for the dedicated romance reader because there is a lot of stigma tied to the cover treatments that we find on mass markets. You want more romance in bookstores so you feel welcome. But bookstores are still a business so they have to Mm -hmm. stock things that will sell and for a lot of bookstores mass markets just don't sell they're also harder to find i don't see yeah many places and you know higher profit margins so like you have to make some concessions on what gets stocked and how it gets displayed but like you know i i can understand why it upsets some people but that the stigma is very much alive and well but seven yeah. years ago, when I moved to Boston, I was so bummed out that we have a lovely community of independent bookstores and not a single one had a romance section. Now, all of them do. I think that shows a lot of progress and growth and optimism. But we also have to realize that like shelf space is important and you want to put stuff on the shelves that sells. Because if they don't, Mm -hmm. we just return them. And for mass markets, we don't return them. 
we strip them, which means we rip the covers off. Every I know that happens, and every time someone talks about it, I have yeah. a full cringe. Like, oh, we God. rip the covers off and then throw the rest in the garbage because it costs more to ship them back to the publisher. Maybe that's what dumps are made of. <laughs> Just recycled mass markets but mass market paperbacks yeah just press them all together yeah but any like mass market we just send the covers back which is kind of morbid when you think about it like we we just send like the faces of their dead books back to them (laughs) oh god the crib yeah and then like we get a credit for it but i'm hopeful that once people get their feet wet and really enjoy reading these stories that they'll be more open and willing to try mass markets once they've exhausted all of their trade options. And a lot of trade authors have been previously published as mass markets, like Alicia Rye. You know, The Right Swipe is trade, but her previous series are mass markets. So it's always Mm -hmm. possible to be like, oh, I really love her writing. What else can I read? And be like, well, here you go. Yeah. All right, so are you ready for a great transition? Yeah. You ready? Yes. All right, speaking of space in bookstores. <laughs> How long were you sitting on that one? Oh, like 22 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> speaking of space in bookstores. No, oh God. We're going to – I'm so proud of that. You <laughs> shut your face. You know you're jealous you didn't come up with that. You know you're mad. I had – an email from Jasmine, who's part of the podcast Patreon. And she wanted to request an episode on science fiction and speculative romance, like the Matrix of Destiny series, because they're more like epic space fantasies. She says she started the Cat Star Chronicles, but she can't seem to get a solid list of that subgenre, maybe romantic space opera. Anyway, just a thought, and she loves the show. Thank you, Jasmine. Now, I thought this was really interesting because space romance has never been my thing. (laughs) Science fiction romance has not been my thing. I didn't think I was a space romance reader either. And then I got the latest Innkeeper Chronicles by Alona Andrews, which – Past Sarah put it on hold at the library. I don't know what past Sarah was doing because past Sarah and present Sarah are pretty (laughs) sure that future Sarah doesn't read space. But I got an announcement that Sweep of the Blade was ready for me to (laughs) download. And I was like, all right, well, okay, I'll try it. And, you know, space and planets. And then there's vampires and space. I'm like, yeah, okay, planets, planets, space, spaceships. And then we got into the politics of all the space cultures, and I was like, I am in. But the thing that's hooking me is not the space part. It's the diplomacy and the way in which the heroine is fluent in different forms of diplomacy, which is a form of emotional caretaking. And the the that is often assigned to women to make people feel welcome in spaces. She's very fluent in all of that because she had to navigate vampire cultures as a human. And so she's very interculturally fluent in different ways of making it clear to someone that they are welcome in the space that she is in, which makes her very useful and very powerful. I am you take it here or leave for it. that part. The space part, I'm kind of like, okay, it, it's there. Planets, space <laughs> stuff. But you, you, you like you some space. I love – What uh, is it about space <laughs> that does it for you? Because I hate the world. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You just, we got to leave this world behind. You're going to be like, yeah, fuck it. Another planet. Let's go. Yep. It's just like you get tired. It's like an old Tupperware that's sitting in the fridge too long. You're like, you know what? There's no saving this. Just throw the whole Tupperware away. We'll start anew with these leftovers and put it in a new Tupperware. Um, <laughs> space. Space. Like a cross Tupperware. <laughs> um, both space or like sci-fi and fantasy, I just love because I always like seeing what an author comes up with in a kind of world that is unfamiliar to me. And come on, spaceships. Spaceships are cool. If you say so. Well, talking about Star Wars, you and I, and I grew up, you know, heavily watching Star Wars. My 
brother had all these Star Wars trivia games and my dad loves Star Wars and mom not so much, but the three of us, we just really liked. And my I also grew up with my dad obsessed with Star Trek. He loves sci-fi. He loves Star Trek. He loves Battlestar Galactica. He loves Star Wars. He like has every Star Trek rendition known to man. So I grew up watching and having it on in the background. But we were talking about Star Wars. And there are a lot of space politics in Star Wars. But there's also like romance tropes that we see. So like I think I mentioned... Like, Leia and Han, you have, like, the class differences. She's a space princess. He's a a rakish smuggler. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. that is ripe for romance writing. You know, the new new series, I know the romance is a polarizing concept in those three three movies. You mean (laughs) Raylo? Yes, I am a Raylo stan. Uh, And the third movie was Garbage. J.J. Abrams is overrated and terrible, and I'm not a fan. Uh, (laughs) But after seeing that movie, I returned to writing fan fiction for, like, the first time in 15 years. Whoa. So that was an interesting experience. So are you rewriting the ending? I would say I'm rewriting the ending. It's a continuation. Ben is still alive, and he has amnesia. And I'm also writing an alternate universe one where they're grumpy neighbors and Ben has inherited his dead father's gross mutt of a dog named Chewy. <laughs> I am just imagining, I'm going to release this episode on Valentine's Day and I can just imagine people listening and going, oh my God, I want that right So now. the first chapter of the continuation is up on Archive of Our Own. Shout out to my friend Kay, who beta read it for me and was, as I called her, a doula through this process. So the ending of the last Star Wars Garbage. movie with Raylo was so abhorrent to your... Garbage. <laughs> you, are now, you are now inspired to write the fanfic of how it should be with the proper ap- application of the tropes. And... I want everyone to know that writing gives me major anxiety. So, like, that's how much I was offended by what J.J. Abrams did. Well, we were actually talking – we were talking about the tropes in space. Yeah. Because not only do you have the class differences and the diplomacy and the and the coded language, which is something I love in romances, how characters – speak on multiple levels. When they say one thing, it means 10 things. That's one of my favorite things. And secret communications. Um, And I, well, I also love the possibility for like action. Like I'm not a romantic suspense fan, but I love like really action oriented sci-fi romances. What does the action do for you? I get confused. It like makes them more like high stakes, like space and stuff. Will they survive? Of course they'll survive. It's a romance. But, like, I don't know. It just really, like, amps up the pacing and, like, level of danger. First, romantic suspense doesn't really appeal to me. Like, (laughs) if they're not in a spaceship, I don't care. And the spaceship itself, I think, can be key because that's forced proximity. And if you go outside the spaceship without the right gear, you're going to die. So you are stuck in that space. Everyone has, like, their roles on a spaceship. Or themes. If, <laughs> I love a theme. So, like, everyone has their, like, positions. Like, this person's the engineer, and this person's the captain, and this person's the the medic on board. And I also wonder if these things appeal to my love of RPGs. Oh, I bet it does. Because that, like, that ev- makes sense. It fits. Everyone has a role. That happens a lot in sci-fi romance where everyone has a career role that's part of your party. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So, and I love Mass Effect, which is like 
the space dragon age essentially i've never played this should i play this yes the first mass effect is a little clunky and mm-hmm. not as polished. It gets better. But I just remember in the first Mass Effect, you meet a space cat alien man who has an eye patch. And uh, his name is Garrus. And everyone was so mad that Garrus wasn't a romanceable character in the first Mass Effect that then he became a romanceable character in the sequel. <laughs> Aww. Yeah. He is such a tender purple space cat man um <laughs> and he is my favorite anyone who tunes out <laughs> anyone who tunes in just at that moment is gonna be like what? <laughs> he's like a- and yet anyone who knows mass effect is gonna be like yep tender purple space cat can confirm he's like a scientist and like an intellectual and you know you have you read adriana anders whiteout I haven't. I'm staring right at it. It is on my desk. It might really work for you okay. because the Antarctic can work as a substitute for space. The outside is going to kill you and everyone has a role. Okay. All right. And everyone in, and the heroine is the chef for all of the scientists at the base. And the hero has a scientific role, but also a secret. Oh. Dun, dun, dun. And then, you know, shit starts going way wrong. But you have the forced proximity, the sort of spaceship, only it's not in space, it's on the ice in Antarctica. And then there's, you know, an epic quest and danger and action. It might really, uh, really work for you. We did a previous rec league because I was selfish and I was like, we need a rec league where it was. Dude, (laughs) I do this all the time. I really want to read this. Can we do this on the rec league? Sure. Where it was the kind of like romantic suspense, but it was like the main couple versus the environment rather than like a larger, like survival romances, I think is what we call the rec league. Right. I like that brand right. of romantic suspense because like nature will kill you. Oh, I love books set in places where if you're dumb, the place you are will kill you. Yes. Like Australia. Yeah. So... Yeah, maybe I'm I'll- joking, Australia. Don't get mad. Although <laughs> there are parts of you that will kill humans very easily, <laughs> and I know about the drop bears, so you know you can't fool me. <laughs> I just like picture like a representative for Australia emailing you, it's like we won't take this, we won't tolerate, Crikey. we won't tolerate you besmirching our name. The other thing about space is there's also often a courtly element or a, or a royalty element because with everyone having their roles you have different sort of statuses and then you have the class lines but you also often have codes yes. of conduct and very courtly rules about how you interact with other people and i get that this can be replicated in a contemporary romance like for example Alyssa Cole's Reluctant Royals, you kind of have to deal with, like, courtly manners, culture differences. Etiquette. Yeah. Protocol. Yeah, anything with protocol can be very interesting in a contemporary setting. But as we have seen, both in that series and in real life, you can also be like, you know what? I'm out of here. And Earth is garbage. So, like... (laughs) I just let's like leave. I'm at the point like right now in my reading where like I don't want to read anything that on, on Earth. Earth. <laughs> I'm done with the whole fucking planet. I'm exhausted. Earth right. exhausts me right now. <laughs> the, the whole planet, planet. Is making me tired. So it's like give me something that is unfamiliar to me please because i don't want to think and i think this happens a lot with terrible news cycles you know you'll be reading a a romance or just a book and you're like this is hitting a little too close to home right now close book Mm -hmm. i'll come back to this later and you need a book that is set in an entirely constructed world that is utterly apart from the one that you're living in yeah because i'm not like Oh wait a minute! Is the whole world on fire and we're gonna die in a gazil- in like a hundred years due to climate change? Like that's not a thought I have in the back of my head when I'm reading about spaceships. So there have been 
more space romances lately. Yes, thank goodness. So what are some of the ones that you love the mostest? Whenever someone asks about like sci-fi romance, I have to like give a shout out to my OG of space romance, Linnea Sinclair. There's Games of Command is so good. And then I think Accidental Goddess, if I remember the setup correctly, a woman is stranded on a planet and she becomes an accidental goddess. Like they think that she was sent from the heavens. Her stuff feels very space opera-like. The romances are all slow burn. Games of Command has like a duo of romances happening at the same time. One couple is enemies to lovers and then like another one I think is more like another one like harbors a crush on on the hero and just so good. Did you read the uh, the books by Kathy Pagao? No. There's a lesbian space romance, Deep Deception, and then there's Rule Breaker, and I think Cotton Amber is also set in space. So I remember Carrie reviewed those. Mm -hmm. And here's my big thing about, like, working for the site. Because I read through the reviews and I have to schedule them for social media, Mm -hmm. if they're on my to-read list and someone reviews it, it gets bumped way down. Oh, yeah. That's absolutely the case. Because I'm like, I already know what happens. I'll read something that I haven't read someone's thoughts on. Now, sometimes reading the reviews makes me want to read the book immediately. That has also happened a few times. Really? I feel like that never happens for me. No, I'm definitely convinced by some of the reviews. Like, oh, oh, well, going to read that now. Okay. Like I was already planning to read Love Lettering, but reading how much Daria loved it, And knowing how, like, I think she read it and then read it again immediately, which for me is a very, very high bar. Knowing how much she loved it, I was like, oh, well, okay, we're going to read that one, obviously. And it was totally great. It also, for me, takes the pressure off. Like, I don't have to formulate a critical opinion of this because a critical opinion on this book has already been filed. I don't have to engage that part of my brain. I am really free to just enjoy it and utterly submerse myself in it. That can be very liberating. Interesting. Well, we have established that you and I sometimes are very different readers. Uh (laughs) Oh, very much. Very, very much. But no, like I appreciated Arya's review and how thoughtful it was. But I wouldn't say like that's the catalyst to make me read it because I also feel like Ari and I are also two very different readers in terms of like what appeals to us in a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like reading reviews doesn't help me. I feel like often it hinders me. Like I like knowing if something has like questionable material or like a shitty situation that would make me nope right out. The minute I read a review, it definitely weakens my desire to pick up the book, whether the review is positive or negative. Well, especially if what you want is a complete absorption yes. into another world. If you've already half read about it, then that that utterly new everything is yes. effect isn't going to be there. So what other space romances do you adore? Do you ever read um, the really, really old space romances by Joanna Lindsay? No, Warrior's Woman. No, I yes. want to just because they sound fucking bonkers oh they are completely over the top they are not only over the top they are also off the chain (laughs) they are all of the things it is i actually like i should make you read it like you are now commanded (laughs) to read warriors woman and report on how off the chain it is Well, like in the vein of like bonkers space romances because there's a lot of room for bonkers in space. You can do I you have want. to give a shout out to Lauren Dane's Federation Chronicle series, which. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> They're like space erotica with like threesomes and like poly relationships. Space boy, yo, 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 yo. And I mean, they're just something else, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and the thing is, you you know exactly what you're going to get once you're in that world, and every book delivers yes. that. But the newer ones, obviously, Polaris Rising and the sequel, Aurora Blazing. I'm so happy that those are in the world. Night Chaser by Amanda. Never know if it's Boucher or Bouchette. 
her Night Chaser series. I think the second book is coming out this year. Um, that is a series that follows like the same couple. Robin Lovett's Planet of Desire is another like cool bonkers sci-fi romance because the main and I reviewed it. The main couple crash lands on a planet where the atmosphere is like a an aphrodisiac. Oh, yo, yo, yeah, yeah, in space. <laughs> but like, you know, I think that's also boyoing <laughs> <laughs> space books. Um, <laughs> but I, I think like sci-fi romance really opens it up to do just weird stuff like that, and you're like, yeah, totally, that makes sense. We haven't explored nearly enough of our galaxy or universe, so there totally could be a planet. That makes you just want to bone everything and anything. Are you trying to say that Earth doesn't make you horny? No. (laughs) Earth makes me drier than a raisin. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry for shitting on Earth so much in this podcast. Earth. It's a dump. (laughs) It's a dump. And we... We <laughs> we had to read the the Mercenary Instinct book for when we were doing the podcast book clubs. And I really enjoyed that by uh, Ruby Lyons Drake. I liked that one. And I wound up continuing with this series. But yeah, I want more space romances. Moments of space romance for you. Is it always the, the quest, the battle, the forced proximity and class differences? I would say force proximity is a huge draw, whether it's that. whether it's on like a spaceship or they're stranded on a planet or just something. But there's also, I feel like in a lot of sci-fi romances, there's also a lot of um, fish out of water elements, whether it's a character going to a planet that they know nothing about or meeting someone from a a world they know nothing about there's this kind of instability is that a is that a word instability (laughs) that a character experiences whether it is physical because the planet is trying to kill you or more emotional because you're stranded on a sex planet with a golden snake man that has a forked tongue so like okay are you gonna read? Um, are you gonna read the new Anna Gear? I know it was reviewed so that it plummets down your list, but it sounds like this is your jam. What is that? Oh, oh, um, girl, he has mandibles. I don't know. Oh, I think you I, should read it. I think it would be your jam. Okay. It did plummet down my list, though. Of course, because it was reviewed. I totally get it. But this also yeah. means that you can any obligation to review it because it's been done i suppose but i'm just sitting here staring at my fort of books (laughs) i understand (laughs) strange love might really work for you especially because the the hero he who hath mandibles uh the heroine from earth and then can't get her back so earth is like out she can't go back (laughs) and her long and the the dog ends up getting uh, the ability to talk I mean, I do enjoy a great dog. Right? Yeah. So what else are some of the uh, spaces that you have found that have really hit the spot? Um. So I'm like looking at my list and it's not as extensive as I thought it was. It can be genre because if you find science fiction fantasy set in space, often it's got a hefty dose of, a dose of misogyny or there isn't a satisfying romance. And I'm – this is also another thing where, like, I'm jealous of YA because YA has a lot more offerings when it comes to uh, science fiction with romance or, like, romantic elements. But, you know, sometimes I'm a horny reader and I just don't – I want more than just light kissing from my protagonist. You want an aphrodisiac atmosphere. I do. With a hot golden – Snake sleep. man. <laughs> <laughs> so happen i understand so like ya has the cool concepts but it it's not horny enough for me 
So it's not just the quest and the space and the force proximity, the courtly differences and all of the things. It's also I need space banging. Like I am not I'm not a reader who enjoys like closed door romances. I need all the bits and bobs on the page, please. All the bells and whistles. Bells and whistles. Got the it. the T's yeah. and the P's and the V's. Just but I wanna know. And I want space banging. <laughs> and I want paragraphs of, you know, descriptive paragraphs of of all the things or whether they even have things, you know. So like that's my main complaint with like YA is like I know some YA does have some light sexual but content. But you want horny space. I need horny, horny Earth space. is not turning you on, but space sounds great. Yeah. Earth is garbage. Space is horny. I have this idea that on on actual <laughs> Valentine's Day, you're gonna like cover your room with aluminum foil, and Eric's gonna walk in and be like, "What is happening?" And you're gonna be like, "We're no longer." Are you ready to get horny? In <laughs> We're space? no longer on Earth, dear. He'd be into <laughs> it. He's supportive. <laughs> What's the swing for? Zero gravity. <laughs> You have to wear this astronaut helmet, though. <laughs> the helmet is yeah, a must. Okay, no Baby Yoda, just Mandalorian. <laughs> and space boots. So, like, you know, sometimes, like, men leave their socks on. It's like, leave the space boots on, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Being at the moment, are you deep in space? But don't... I am. I am not. It is not deep space nine inches oh, here. Uh, <laughs> but it is fantasy adjacent. So I'm reading uh, "A Heart of Blood and Ashes" by Mila Vane or Mia. I'm not sure how to do the double L's in this I'm case. I'm pretty um, sure, and I'm so sorry if I mispronounce it. But it's Mel Jean Brooke. I know. Which. Her previous series, was it the Iron Seas or the Iron Duke was the first yeah, one. Yeah, Iron Seas, yeah. Um, but I have such a soft spot for that series. She's one of those authors that I will read anything they write. The cover has like a dirty ripped Viking man on it. So that's what I'm reading right now. Uh, and then I'm also reading Kiss of Steel for by Beck McMaster for Book Club on Sunday. So neither are contemporaries. Coincidence, as I mentioned, um, I sweep of the blade, which is space, not planned for this podcast, but I am really into it. Space vampires with diplomacy. I feel like Alona Andrews, they are one of those writers that like, they can do anything. There is a particular to their heroes. They have a very particular style of their alpha heroes. They are almost always the biggest, baddest motherfuckers in the room. They have the most power. They are fearsome. And then they are brought to their knees by these incredibly interesting women. Yes. Which I love. I'm okay with this. Yes. I I can't mainline them. I can't read one after the other. But I do. I am really surprised by how much I'm enjoying Diplomatic space vampires. Just like a light sprinkling. No mainlining. Yeah, just like a, a little bit of space. <laughs> just a a bit sprinkling of space, of space please. A wee bit of space. Just, just tell me when on the space. <laughs> just remember. Someone has like a giant pepper grinder and it's just like stars falling in onto your book. And you're like, when, please? A little bit of space. <laughs> Not a whole like pile of cheese. I don't want like... The half pound of Parmesan space in my Meanwhile, I'm just like, nothing but Parmesan, space Parmesan in my bowl, please. Just a- <laughs> If space, if space is cheese, this is the strangest <laughs> metaphor. If space is cheese, your books are like those things where they aim a blowtorch at a giant block of cheese, melt it, scrape it up together, mix it with some things, and then melt some more cheese. So they're making the dish in the cheese yes. out of the cheese. That is the amount of space. If space is cheese, that is the yes. amount of space you want in your books. That is exactly it. Sounds good. This this yeah, episode was a cheese. wild ride. <laughs> it really was. I enjoyed it very much. 
And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. If you would like to find Amanda, she is at Smart Bitches, and she's on Twitter at underscore I'm an adult. And the bookstore she works at is Belmont Books. So if you are in the Boston area, you can go check out her bookstore. And yes, I will have a link in the show notes to her fanfic because I know many of you are probably very curious about this. Today's podcast episode was brought to you by Best Women's Erotica of the Year, Volume 5, edited by Rachel Kramer Bussell, published by Cleus Press. This anthology's theme is outrageous and features 21 new sexy erotica and erotic romance stories by authors including Sierra Simone, C.D. Reese, Sabrina Saul, Caridad Pinheiro, Bali Kaur Jaswal, Justine Elliott, Alexa J. Day, Jane Renault, and more. You'll be swept away by the sexiest business deal ever, break the rules in a future world where skin-on-skin contact is forbidden, and discover the art of getting off by phone sex. From mermaid sex to historical passion to the first Latina U.S. president finding intimacy again after becoming a widow, this book has something for every reader, from happy endings to pure lust. Best Women's Erotica of the Year, Volume 5 is available in print, ebook, and audiobook, and is on sale now wherever books are sold. Find out more at bweoftheyear.com. Thank you again to our Patreon community for helping make sure that every episode has a transcript, and thank you, Garlic Knitter, for the transcript each week. If you would like to join the Patreon, you can have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Coming up on the site this week on Smart Bitches Trashy Books, you didn't know there's a website that goes with the podcast, we are going to be doing Hide Your Wallet Part 2, which is our mid-month roundup of what we're looking forward to reading that's new this month in February. We're also going to be talking about what we've seen people talk about in terms of new books, book deals, book releases, book announcement, cover reveals, all of the new stuff. Plus, this week, we have captioned that cover, new reviews of new books, and of course, a Bachelor recap from Elise. We'll always have books on sale on every day, except Friday and Saturday, and help a bitch out on Tuesday. I hope you'll come over and hang out with us. I will have links to everything we talked about, all of the books, all of the shows, all of the fanfic, never fear. And of course, each week, I end with a bad joke. You ready? This one's really poor. All right. What do clouds wear under their shorts? Give up. What do clouds wear under their shorts? Thunderpants. <laughs> so dumb. I love it so much. <laughs> that is from Reddit user Just a Boy. Thunderpants. Uh, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that one as much as I did. On behalf of Amanda and myself, we wish you the very best of reading. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you back here next week. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcasting Network. You can find more outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts.